What is up, Combo Nation? We are here, and welcome to episode 508 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, and there's a new discount code. It is Combo20. Discount code Combo no longer works, so it's discount code Combo20. That's C-O-M-B-O. Two, oh, for the sleekest version of yourself, Manscaped has you covered from head to toe, starting with their brand new beard hedge trimmer. With one guard and 20 adjustable lengths, this device is the perfect travel companion fit to take care of your mane wherever you are. Next in line, who could forget about their signature performance package 4.0? Included in this ultimate grooming bundle is the star of the show, that lawnmower. 4.0 equipped with skin-safe technology to minimize nicks and cuts in all of your sensitive areas. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and enjoy this offer. 20% off and free shipping with the code COMBO20 at manscaped.com. Today's show, Overtime Mikey joins in to talk about the evolution of overtime, OTE, the Thompson Twins, just a fantastic conversation in New York City at Gotham Podcast Studios. You can find Mikey on Instagram at Overtime Mikey. You can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Mikey, welcome back to the show, hey, man. What up? How we doing? How's your summer going? Hey, summer's going great. I mean, I can't believe summer's over. It's it was nonstop. It was it was a blast though. It was a blast. New York City summers are different. Yeah, like I know everyone's trying to leave every weekend to go somewhere else, but I do like this. I like the city summers. I who's do. trying to leave? I mean, I guess we've both been traveling a lot this summer, but who's trying to leave in the summer? Like winters, I could tell. Well, people leave in the weekends, like everyone's trying to go to like the Hamptons or whatever. They're like Jersey House or, you know, some, some, some they're trying to get near some water. Hamptons is uh, cool. Hamptons yeah, Hamptons is cool. Is cool. <laughs> I had like one weekend out there. Uh, you know, you got you to gotta have a friend that has a great house out there. Yeah, most definitely. Don't well, have my own house yet. Let's see. It's interesting because our paths have crossed so many times in so many different ways. But let's start this conversation here. Do you remember the first time we spoke? I do. I do. Um, we got we got introed th- through a dear friend, Sean. Um, yeah. She and, works in the NBA now, too. My guy, Sean. Yeah, yeah. It's actually crazy we ever even, like, met in real life after that. Like, that, that is just, crazy. That, it could have just been our – that could have just been the one time we ever talked, you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, I was going through some ups and downs in Israel, you know, dealing with some adversity. And uh, Sean was like, you should talk to my guy Combo. Um, and, yeah, we, I remember we had a phone call. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was insightful. It was good. Yeah, I mean, I was actually in Denmark at the time. Great situation. And I've been in Israel, and there was a lot of ups and downs in Israel. It really just depends on the situation that you're in. But what did that time in Israel, what did you learn from that time? Man. I learned so much. Like, 
I think for me, like, I mean, I had a great childhood. I grew up in South Florida in the suburbs, like, full transparency. Like, I wasn't like a rich kid, but I never had to worry about anything. Like, my we're like totally in the same boat. We have so much in common. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, so one, I think to be a foreign person in a country is just like a great exercise. Like, yes, there's just so like, it's all the little things like going to the bank, doing these different things and just not being able to communicate with people because you don't speak the language. The bank being closed in the middle of the day for no reason. They never work. (laughs) No one ever works. No one works overseas either. Um, Yeah. Customer service is not good. But I just think, you know, all your teammates are just speaking in another language. You're just like in the backseat. Like you can't really talk in a way. It's it can be lonely and isolating. Um, But I do think it's a very great exercise. So one, I think. You know, as a young man, I mean, I went over there at 21 years old. I graduated college at 21 and went over there. I was very young. <clears throat> so I was I was really young in every regard. But, but man, I mean, I didn't have that glory moment of like when it all clicks and all the hard work pays off. Like we, we've all had those moments in our lives. Uh, I didn't have that in Israel, um, at least to what I was hoping for. I had little, little wins, never had a big win where, you know, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, so that, that kind of irks me, but from a life perspective, I think it was, you know, I feel so lucky, even though it didn't go as great as I hoped, it definitely, you know, helped make me who I am today. Yeah. I stayed a few years too long, but that's probably better than a few years too short because I have no regret, no regrets, but you, like you say, you don't, you didn't have that, um, big win situation, but do you think that kept you hungry after Israel? Yeah, so it definitely, you know, I never had closure on my hoops career, and that's why, like, I'm just still... Well, it's still here, I guess, in yeah, a way. Yeah, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still pursuing it in different ways every day. But, but yeah, the way, the, way, um, the way my basketball career ended overseas was pretty unfortunate. It was, like, it was one of those basketball business situations where, mm-hmm. like, I, I was on... After a, a, my first year being up and down, I signed to a new team in Ashkelon, and everything was teed up perfect. Like I was, I started both preseason games. I had like, I think I played okay. I had like eight points and 12 points in the preseason mm-hmm. games. Like clearly belonged out there and could make an impact. Um, and they were, so, they were doing all these changes and they brought this kid in, really good Israeli player, played on the Israeli national team. And, uh, and, and, and it just, and then immediately he was starting over me. And it was like, we should just be playing together. Um, but they didn't have enough money to pay me and him together. Sometimes they went so hard with the positions that they felt like they couldn't play certain players together. Yeah. They, they they labeled everybody. Yeah. So you are one, you are two, you yeah, are yeah. three. <laughs> 100%. But dude, it, it, it got, but it became a basketball business thing because like me and him were the two highest paid Israeli players mm-hmm. and they just didn't have enough to pay both of us, but they really wanted him. Right. So they literally tried to get me to quit. Really? That's what they try to do. So I went from being in the starting five to um, we had like 12 guys on the team. So like at the end of practice, you do like first five or second five and then be like two guys on the sideline who are like walk-ons. You know what I mean? Like the army, young army kids. Yeah. I ended up being the 12th guy. They put me in the tw- as, on the sideline. I wouldn't even play in scrimmages. The coach was like, "Yeah, like we, we yeah, yeah, they do moves like that." That that so I'll never forget. Like they're they're benching me in practice after I started, um, and there was no like behavior issues or anything like that. Like it, it was just like we want this guy, we can't pay you, like whatever. So when but I refused to just stand there. So I would just I would do ball handling on the side with two balls, like super <laughs> disruptive. Like I go pound dribbles to the point where when the coach would try to coach people. 
he would uh, he'd be like, Mike, can you please stop for a second? You weren't in a good place. Well, I mean, I was in a fine place. I you was, were being, I, I, I mean, you were being passive aggressive. I wasn't gonna let <laughs> I wasn't gonna let him prevent me from getting better that day. So some okay. days I would do two hand dribbling. It's a mindset. Yeah, yeah. Some days I would just run around the I'd run around the gym the whole entire time, just to like think. I just wanted people to think I was crazy. You know, was you like, are. <laughs> yeah, I just wasn't gonna let this unfortunate situation be the reason why I like got out of shape or uh, wasn't gonna get better that day. And and yeah, I didn't. You know, what what do you want me to do? And that's how it ended. So so then <clears throat> after a month of doing that, which is like my my agent was like, you know, keep going to practice. Don't breach your contract. I'm gonna try to get you on a different team. Like this is a terrible situation. Um, he couldn't really get me anything. Then. The owners of the team bring everyone in, not just me, everyone, the Americans, every single player. They go, hey, listen, this was like November, I think. They're like, we're not going to be able to pay you guys this month or next month. But we have like a court case with the city in January. And if we win, everyone will get paid and we'll be fine. And if we lose, the team's going to foreclose and we're going to not be able to finish the season. And I'm just like, man, like, what am I doing? Like, like I'm not, I'm fighting to even get into practice. They don't want me on the team. Now they're not paying anybody. I think I'm just going to bounce. And I literally just, I just left. I just, I just left. And then I never, I never went back because I didn't do enough where teams would have offered me without me like grinding it out again. It would have been three times, three seasons straight. And uh, I was close to going back and signing with this third division team. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to give New York a try. And I, I was open-minded to going back, but I, I just went to New York, and that's when I found overtime. How did that all start with overtime? Dude, it was I, – I swear, like, every opportunity I've had in my life, like, I had to go proactively try to get it, you know? I feel like even when I was a kid, like, I couldn't – there wasn't AAU teams that, like, wanted me to play for them. Like, I had to, like, try to go find an AAU team that would, like, take a chance. So that actually helped you in the long run. I think so. And then, like, when I was trying to get recruited for college, like, I made my own highlight tapes and I'd email them, like, every single coach in the country. And then, like, that was the start of the videos for Mikey. It, it really was. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. It was like, I started editing videos for the most part because I was, like, trying to get myself recruited. And then to play in Israel, I had a pretty good college career. No teams offered me, even though I had my citizenship. So I had to go to Israel and try out for teams. Right. right? And then. Come to New York, I have no job, and it's the same thing all over again. Obviously, everyone's got to apply for a job. But I I came across Overtime at the time, pretty unknown company, not a sports media company, really. They were, like, working on this app, and I just sent a cold message to the co-founder. And I was like, listen, I just played basketball in Israel. Like, I do some social media and video editing. I'm trying to, like, get in the space. And I was like, I'll literally do – I'll do anything. And he was like, all right, come to the office. So I came by, interviewed, and they're like, here, like – this isn't like a typical interview, like just do this video editing project. They kind of, they just had me edit a video for them as like an assignment. And they, and they liked the way it turned out. And, uh, and they're like, they're like, this seems great. Like you should start part part time. And at the time it was like six people and they really didn't have that much money. So like, it was like $400 a month to, to work like 10 hours a week. And I was like, all right, this is great. I got a job in sports, but (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you can't pay rent in New York with $400 a month. So then I had to get another job at this other startup that wasn't really sports related. And I had to grind out these two jobs for like a year and a half just to like, I wa- I was like, and at times I was like, damn, I don't know if I should keep doing this overtime thing. Like, I don't know where, but eventually 
they started to get some traction and they were going to raise, they were going to raise more money. And, and that's when they decided to offer me a full-time job. So it was a year and a half. So it was November, 2017 when I came off full-time and that's kind of how it started. But, but yeah, had to grind, had to grind it out. The evolution of overtime is crazy because in the beginning I felt like the people working in the office were actually the on our on air talent as well. Was that a tough transition for you and everybody you were working with? Because things are so different now. All the resources go to OTE. Not all the resources, but most of the resources. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I didn't get in front of the camera for years. Like, okay. I I kind of, like, basically... I remember you yeah. dunking on overtime. I remember yeah, yeah. you had all that stuff <clears> at the beginning. I would get posted a little bit yeah. with, like, dunking and stuff. But I was editing, like... like we had overtime Larry and he was the main guy on camera and I was just editing all the videos that he would post. I was editing all the videos that overtime would post from the players we cover in our different shows. So I was just editing, I was the main editor. So I would just edit everything and I learned a ton. And then I started applying it to my, like I started everything I would learn. I applied it to just my own account, which was better bounce at the time. And just started, That's right. started, started doing some content, gained some following. Um, and then when TikTok came around, I really, you know, I was dialed in and, you know, during the pandemic, especially during the pandemic, everything was shut down. I was able to just kind of f- just take a minute and, and like focus on creating content. And that's when I started really growing my following. Yeah. When OTE started, when did you first hear about it and how did your job change? So it's actually, so there was this idea floating around the office for years of like us starting our own basketball league for high school kids um and i was in a couple early meetings and it honestly didn't seem like something that was going to actually happen it seemed crazy it was crazy and we're just like we're gonna do it and there there and we raised money around it and then they were like you know we built the arena in four months it's crazy i didn't understand how it was going to happen because i visited the construction ground like two months before the kids were supposed to be there. And it was just like a shell. It was just like, there was no court or anything. It was, I was like, like, I was like, maybe we should have like, maybe we should have just aimed to do this next year. Um, but we were super ambitious and you know, well, we take a lot of risks. Like we take, you know, smart calculated risks. Um, but it's, it's inspiring to be around people that are fearless, you know? And, uh, we've had, we've, we had a lot of success, but we've also, We've done a lot of things that haven't that haven't worked out and have failed. But uh, but yeah, OTE was a crazy endeavor. Still to this day, even everything we've accomplished now, like it's still like I feel like the people who just started working overtime now, I don't think they understand that. Like even though we're like you know we're not going out of business, but like I still feel like our backs are to the wall every week, and we got to figure out a way to like keep it going because it's too competitive a space and it's too hard to not have that like sense of urgency. Is it you know? competitive space? Because there has never been anything done like that before, maybe outside of LeVar, LeVar Ball's league, right? Well, I mean, just as overtime as a whole, right? It's like overtime is a media company, right? There's okay. tons of competition between like House Highlights, Sports Center, ESPN. Uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, and then with that, OTE, yeah, there is no one, there is no one that's close to what we're doing. But a lot of great players still go to IMG Academy. They still go to Prolific Prep. They still go to these other schools. Um, so it's on us to figure out, you know, I think we should be getting every single big-time recruit. So obviously there's components that we can't control, right? It's like, oh, well, he doesn't want to move from California to Atlanta, and his family doesn't want to move out there too. It's like, okay, 
nothing we can really do about that. Unless, besides, unless you want to offer more money and then make exactly. them forget about those issues. <laughs> exactly. But bro, everyone's offering money. Like, yeah, yeah. Like these prep schools are offering tons of money too. So it's like, and the college coaches that are recruiting them also like have, they have a bag waiting for them as soon as they go. So yeah, money has gotten crazy with the NIL stuff, but, but yeah, recruiting is harder than you would think. Because we have everything for the kids. We have the academics, yeah. the facility. I've been there. That facility's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. So you have everything you need. And and we've seen time and time again, the kids that have amazing attitudes and work hard, like their games transform. The Thompson Twins were like three-star recruits when they came to us. And they, they both became top five picks. Don Barlow came to us as a post-grad our first year. And he's a New Jersey kid. And he was on no radar for the NBA. Went undrafted, but he's been on a two-way with the Spurs the last two years. Um, but we have, I mean, and now I don't know if you've seen Alex R. He, mm-hmm. he plays, he's a French prospect, seven foot French prospect who will be probably a top 20 pick next year. He's with us last two years. He plays for the, uh, a team in the NBL in Australia now, and he's dominating. We have two kids that were with us last two years who are now with the G League Ignite team. So it's like the kids that work hard and are proactive, like they have everything they ever needed between nutrition, fitness, strength and conditioning to, to just transform their bodies in their game. And, and, and it's, we've seen it in such, in just three years, we've already seen it with like 10, 10 athletes. So that's interesting that Asar and a man were only three stars because it seems like everything was built around them. Like they seemed like, especially in the documentary. And even when I went to Atlanta to go watch that, they were like the face of the franchise. Yeah. So by so the thing is, the first year, no one really knew who they were, um, and they were like, yeah, they were ranked like forty eighth and fiftieth in their class okay. or something. Um, but after that, for their junior season, no. Wait. Yeah. No. No. So it was actually their senior year of high school. Um, they just like blew up, and it was the first year of our league. They blew up. So then when they came back, I think you saw them when they played on the City Reapers team. And at that point, yeah, they were the face of the team. They were by far, they were the two best players in the league. Um, and yeah, and if you watch the first episode of the doc, the guy's like, yeah, like they had a lot to lose because it was like they boosted their stock tremendously that first year. Um, yeah. And, but they did their thing. Their stock actually just kept improving. Four, go back to back four and five twin brothers. That's insane. It is insane. insane. And if it wasn't for like Wemby and Scoot, they might have been two and three. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, it was, it, Wemby is like a generational guy. So I realized how good Asar was watching him in Summer League. Yeah. And how do you feel about people that say like watching OTE is hard to evaluate for these prospects? Because I'm not going to lie. Like, I was way more impressed with the Thompson twins, even a man, he didn't even play that much, watching them play against NBA talent. Obviously, even in college, it doesn't it doesn't matter where you come from. Like, it's going to be a harder evaluation, right? But what do you say to those people like OTE is a hard eval? Yeah, I think – I mean, anything that's new is going to be tough, right? Like, when LaMelo was playing in Lithuania, it was so hard to evaluate him. And same when he playing with the NBL. Like, but my, my thing is this, right? It's give or take, right? Because it's like, okay, I respect college basketball. I play college basketball. I never played at a Division one level. Like, it's hard. And I do think – Anyone who goes there, their stats actually get like deflated because you're playing in a system. It's slow. Yeah, it's half for court. Most people. It's half court. It's tough. Do I? I, I think if a men and are so good that like if they went to college, I think they would have been top ten picks regardless. But to evaluate OTE is hard because <clears throat> yeah, it's like they were post grads playing against some 16, 18 year olds, 
But if you actually understood the talent that was there, like like I said, the two guys that are on with the Ignite team now, one's going to be a top 10 pick. The, the talent they played against was better than if they went to like than like a mo- like most college basketball games, but they were just younger players. Um, but I wasn't surprised to see a men and a star ball out in summer league because I know like when you see how physically gifted they are, I just knew I knew they were in the top one percent athletically mm-hmm. already in the NBA. The way they glide, how strong they are, the way they move, how vertical they are, their blocks, defense like they're the best defensive players I've ever seen play. Like. The way they can shoot, miss, put back, dunk their own shots, like it's like it, not- it looked like those OT re- OT rims <clears throat> were low. How they would do that? Yeah, they're 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 insane. <laughs> well, they they'd be on one end with like John Morant pinning against the ball like blocks, and they come back to the other. They look like a video game. They look like a video game, and like, and and the thing is, is like they're not. It, we've seen raw athletes like that before, but they know how to play. That's what I said about Asar. Like, he's a really good basketball player with elite athleticism on top of it. And then a man is probably one of the twitchiest athletes I've ever seen. Yeah. My biggest thing with them is, like, you know, I knew I spent a lot of time with them. And I've seen them work on their game in two years. And I kind of understand their personalities. And, like, one, they're both, like, super unselfish and playmakers. Like, they really know how to pass and make plays. And they're unselfish. Um it's just rare to have the A1 athleticism with the playmaking and unselfishness and feel for the game at that young of an age. Like those two usually aren't on the same page. Um, and we know shooting is their weakness, but I just know how hard they work and how competitive they are. Like they're they're sickos in the best way. Like they're nuts. Like they're gonna like they're gonna work harder than they're gonna work harder than any other rookie, I think. Like I, I promise you, Asar has already shown great growth. Mm-hmm. with shooting and a man is a little more comfortable like in the mid-range um but like it's just it's not going to be a problem like they're gonna it's not gonna be a problem will will the bigger will the bigger challenge be them being separated yeah that that'll probably be the bi- biggest adversity i think i mean besides maybe being on losing teams or yeah i mean they might they might they, their teams might not be that good this year um so besides maybe rockets might be decent yeah the rockets are interesting the rockets are interesting um but yeah, I guess besides maybe not. I mean, they're not going to be and, happy until they're contending. Like they're, what, they're and, like and if K takes another leap, and if you know, yeah. Well, that's why I think Asar Asar with Cade is is going to be nice. Very I think nice. Cade's going to immediately gravitate towards him. I think if Asar can get comfortable making threes, I mean, if if Asar, and he's the better shooter of the two, right? Yeah, right now he's the better three point shooter. I think if if Asar shooting in the thirties, he's going to be. Like just in the thirties, he's gonna be unstoppable because his teammates are gonna love playing with him because he's gonna play hard. He's gonna guard the he he's gonna want to guard the best player. So Cade won't have to. And he's fun to play with. Yeah, and he's gonna yeah he's gonna yeah. pass. He's gonna run the floor and transition. He's like unstoppable. It's it's gonna be fun. But yeah, I do think I'm not even kidding. I think the biggest adversity they'll have in their rookie year is just being apart. It's gonna be tough. I mean, I don't know if you know any twin brothers, but they they they're <laughs> they're very close. They're very close. Like. So it'll it'll be interesting for them for sure. So their teammate Eli, it's interesting. At the end of the documentary, he said he proved he was elite. To you, what does that mean, and what did he prove to you over the time at OTE? Yeah, so you know, Eli came in. Eli comes in with all these you know top one hundred kids, and he's not really ranked. And we get it. Like he doesn't have the upside. He doesn't have the wingspan or the athleticism. It doesn't seem like he's going to grow that much. 
you know, he's a 6'1 kind of combo guard, not a true point guard. He's not really on these NBA scouts' radar. Um, but, but yeah, like, he, he came in OT. We thought he'd be, like, a bench player, come off the bench, hit some threes. But it was pretty quick where you're like, damn, like, he just, know, he just plays – he just knows how to play. Like – and he can just make shots. Like, he is an elite shooter. Like Yeah, and some of those shots were wide open probably because of Amen yeah. and Asar. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. Amen and Asar quickly realized, like, hey, he's the be- he actually – he's the best shooter. He was the best shooter OT last year, the whole the whole league. And, yo, they're shooting – like, they're shooting NBA threes. And, and he's, yeah. he's, he's 16, 16, 17 years old, like, shooting 40% from NBA wing threes. Um and he's good enough if you have confidence in him to come off the pick and roll, make a play. And he, he yeah, he's a feisty kid. And he, he, the thing with Eli that's most impressive is like, uh, he's just so fearless. He's fearless, and I, I just respect it. I think Eli, this is like not like Eli's gonna have big moments at the next level when he plays college. I know that. Um, so I think he's gonna be a pro one way or another. I think. Um, obviously, I mean, no one thought Mac McClung would be an NBA player. Yeah. So, I mean, and Eli's a better shooter, obviously not as athletic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So give or take. But I'm saying like these guys that... How tall is he now? I, it looked like he grew in recent IG posts. I think he's like 6'2", but he's way bigger and stronger he's than he's 6'2"? Think. He's like 6'1". I thought he was shorter than that. He's like 6'1", maybe. I don't know. I might be helping him out here. Nah, he's at least 6 feet, but he's like wide and stronger than you think. So It think, looks like he got stronger since the documentary yeah. from the videos I'm seeing. Yeah. And... uh and he gets it, man. Like, he's building his brand on social. Like, he's just a great kid to work with, and he works hard, and and uh, it's great having him for, at OT. Yeah, you hear about the offers. So can you speak to who gets to keep their college eligibility at, o- at OT? Yeah, so in the first year we did, the first year it was all pro athletes. So everyone who joined, when the Thompson Twins joined that year one, lost their eligibility. Because um, at the time, we were just going to do a pro, pro league. Um, and then NIL rules all changed, I think, because of us. And then we started to give the optionality of having a scholarship. So now, like, when a kid comes to OTE, when we offer him, like, he has he has choices. It's like, one, he could become a pro, get on a salary, um, and lose his eligibility. Um, or we can have him on a scholarship, and then we can give him, and like, an, there can be an NI deal, NIL deal in place. So there could be some payments, but not related to playing basketball. Um, and you can keep your eligibility. So someone like Rob Dillingham, he came last year. He was on a scholarship. So now he's playing at Kentucky. So we just want to have we like we just want kids to have the options to do what they want to do um, and just play against the the, mo- the best competition and have all the resources possible. Um, and then for our audience and fans, we just want to get the most talented players, get them the most access. So um, you know build real fandom in, in a real league. How'd you feel about the documentary? I loved you actually sent it to me and I didn't even know about it till uh, you sent it to me. Super dope. Um, what went into the making of it? I saw your cameo at the end on uh, draft night. <laughs> what went into the making of that and how did you feel it came out? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, long form content, like episode, episodic content like that has always been like a reality kind of show like that has always been like our bread and butter on YouTube um, you know, yeah. we did shows shows with Deion Sanders and Shador Sanders back in the day. Um, you know, we we did prolific prep when Jalen Green went there. Um, obviously, we had Mikey Williams' big show called Fear Nothing. We're doing a show right now with Kyanne Anthony. Um, so we we've been doing long form storytelling. 
um, you know, getting that, getting you that full access with the athletes in like a raw, authentic way. Um, so it's not, so we knew when we started OT, this was always part of the plan. Um, and to find a great partner like Amazon Prime, and, and it's a great deal, we deal in partnership we have with them where we get to stream our most hyped games of the season live I on Amazon that. Prime. I saw that. Yeah. So we, so, we're live streaming full games on Amazon Prime, and then we have this followed documentary series that comes after um, called One Shot, which just dropped last week. Um, and it's awesome just to have, you know, just it, it's great to just have the respect from one of the best streaming platforms um, and to kind of get over time a lead to maybe a new audience or a more mature audience or something like that. Um, but I think we're all really happy with how the show came out, and a lot of people worked on it. Um, Honestly, it wasn't wasn't a big. I wasn't a big role in it. Um, from a you know more behind the scenes working with the social people down in Atlanta, but but yeah, I mean, I think from a production value is probably the best thing we've ever done. What's your specific role since you just mentioned it? Um, yeah, lightly. Um, I'm the head of social strategy at Overtime, so my role has changed a lot over the years. But right now, like everything social content, I kind of help oversee. Um, and that's everything from every vertical we have between basketball, football, sneakers, uh, you know, overtime elite, our 7v7 football league, boxing. So when you say social, do you post it yourself or? Um, right now, I'm not really posting anymore. Um, there was a time where I was posting a lot, but okay. no, it's everything as in like for, for the one shot doc, like a big part of my job was trying to make sure we're promoting it on social the best way we can uh and have a plan for that and oversee the people that are posting <clears throat> yeah so i actually i i ma i manage directly with a lot of editors so there's like a team of four or five editors here in new york that i run i run a team and then in atlanta there's like three or four that that i help uh, uh i help manage in, in atlanta as well so i'm more of the i'm more of like the editors and making sure we're like maximizing everything and trying to scale our original content. Cause like in New York, like, you know, we're doing a tons of content with like, I don't know if you heard of zero bounce, mm -mm. but basically we have these like influencers like Megan, zero bounce, Kieran and these different people. And we're trying to grow them, grow shows. Um, we do tons of brand, all under brand. the overtime umbrella. <laughs> yep. But like we have so many different accounts, like there's probably accounts out there that you don't even know are overtime, you know? Okay, that's dope. Um, you know, I seen the work you've been doing with Kyan. That's under the overtime umbrella, right? Or is yep. that your own thing? No. So Kyan's show is on overtime. Um, so my job is like, well, for this this show is pretty unique because I just had a relationship with Kyan before. Um, so it's been cool to kind of be like a producer on the show, um, and help coordinate with him and his family and make sure we get what we need. But the show has been awesome. Um, but my job, my, my job specifically for the show. Besides, like, helping with logistics and shooting is, like, every week, you know, because it's, like, okay, we have a 15-minute episode, right? And it'll go on YouTube. But, like, how do you get the most out of this episode so you get a 30-second clip from the show that will get a million views on TikTok, right? Like, I'm, I'm – I'm, Say that one more time. I'm, I'm taking the 15-minute episode and I'm handpicking different moments that we're going to distribute on different channels. So, it's, like uh. – it's like okay, this it's like this one part of the show where Kyan did something cool. I, I I clip it out. We verticalize it. We add subtitles. We optimize it for TikTok. We'll post it on TikTok. So it's like in a given week, 
if the episode on YouTube got 300,000 views, but I got four or five social posts that that added up to 3 million, million views now, the show's just been seen in so many different places, you know? Even if it's just a little scene or a little snippet or a little tease, but it's also helping promote people to go watch the show. Yeah, how do you change the content from, besides obviously vertical and horizontal, what do you think works on YouTube compared to IG Reels, compared to TikTok? Yeah, so I think, you know, there's definitely a different strategy with each platform, right? So it's like on YouTube, we have the long form videos, the long form episode, then there's YouTube shorts. I think YouTube shorts is pretty similar to TikTok. So whatever we post on TikTok, we probably throw up on YouTube shorts. And then IG, IG is always tough because I think depending on what kind of content it is, I think the more like highly produced and professional it looks, the worse it can do sometimes on social media, on like TikTok and IG, because they want more like authentic feel to it. So, mm. so what I've been doing lately is like I've been creating these like carousel posts. So it's like, oh shit, let me show you. So for example, like this one did pretty good. I'm going to show you right now so you can see. So I had this one scene. It's just Lala and Cayenne playing together, right? Right. But instead of posting it as a reel, I made this like cover image for it, right? So it has Lala, it has them, it has, uh. a, it has a quote and it's pretty enticing, right? So it's like its own little thing and you swipe and then you can watch it, right? But on TikTok, I just posted the video vertical, you know? So every everything, every single post is- That's basically like the thumbnail, right? Yeah, it's like a thumbnail. Um, but yeah, everything is that strategic where every single post asset like needs to be optimized. And I'm always thinking, and like the thing is, is like what works now on a certain channel maybe won't be the case in six months. So we got to figure it out and we got to, and you, the only way to learn is by creating, posting, learning over and over again. I didn't know she could shoot like that. I actually uh, just saw her speak out at Invest Fest. It was a great conversation. Their family just seems like super dope. It's super dope. Yeah. It's super dope. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, Lala's great. And, you know, get, getting to hang out with Carmelo in the last, like, year has been really, really cool. He's he's awesome. I've seen Cayenne play, obviously, not as much as you. My analysis from when I saw him play was that the athleticism wasn't quite up to the skill level, but I think we're getting to a point where he's getting a lot more athletic. Like we're seeing the in-game dunks. We're seeing the oops. What do you feel like are the biggest improvement areas for Cayenne? Yeah. So when did you see Cayenne play? I'm curious. It must have been like four years ago. Oh, four years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think this past year has been crazy for Cayenne because one, I mean, he's grown. He's like 6'5 now. Is he? Yeah. yeah. He's like 6'5. He, every time I see him, he grows like two or three inches. Um, I think he's going to be like 6'7". Um, and yeah, he always had a pretty jump shot. Yeah. Um, and now, yeah, the skills and athletic, the athleticism is still like up and down. You could tell like he's still growing and figuring it out. I think, I think by the end of this school year, he's going to be, you're going to see his body's going to be like, he's just better feel for his body and he's going to be like doing things a lot easier. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the sky's the limit. Like, I think it's it's hard to assess someone when they're 16, you know? Like, 100%. He's going into his junior year, but he has all the resources. And I think he really he, – he had a huge summer. He, he has 18 offers now. Wow. Um, So, like, yeah. He, he clearly loves it, and he works hard, has all the resources, and uh, has the DNA. So I think it's only a matter of time. He definitely was a little bit of a late bloomer, I think. But, um, you know, he did his thing in EYBL. 
Yeah, and that's the best of the best, right? Yeah, so... Outside OTE. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But it's interesting because you said, you know, how hard it is to evaluate um, kids that young. That's why I kind of stay away from, like, talking about 16-year-olds because you could be a totally different player by the time you're 18. 100%. And if you look at the NBA, it's like, how many of the NBA's best players were those like number one ranked players. It's not like that. It's like, one, they're all like international guys. Two, the Damian Lillards of the world who are the, the people who were actually not ranked and under and under uh, you know, undervalued are a lot of times the ones who break through because they have that the, chip. They, they have the chip and they had the ha- the good habits, you know, of just like, damn, they just outworked everybody all the time. And then they get to the NBA and they just have those habits like instilled in them, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of guys like that. Like, I mean, even like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. John like, Morant. I know he's going through his issues, but. Yeah, John Morant. No one thought he would be, the, the, I mean, the fa- future face of the NBA, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> but um, you mentioned the international players. Obviously, you know, last five MVPs have been international players. And we've seen Team USA loss. I don't know about you, but I've been like kind of weirded out by the response of Team USA losing. Why are people so surprised at this point? I mean, I know Steve Kerr said it's not 1992 anymore, and he got some backlash for that. But yeah. he's actually right. I, it is an excuse because you are supposed to win. You do have the most talent. Yeah. But the gap in talent is just not as far as it used to be. Then you have to take into account the chemistry these teams play with, right? They have NBA talent. And you know this, like playing in Israel, playing overseas, that some of these countries are so small that these guys could actually practice together from a young age yep. all the way up to when they're pros. 100%. They've been playing together their whole lives, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we sent, like, our C team out there, and they're really good players. Like, the, all those guys are, like, on the rise and really, really good. Yeah. But I think, yeah, it's not surprising. And I think at the end of the day – like, I mean, the fact that the world is so good at basketball is great. I think it's good for the sport. I think it'll end up being good for the NBA. But um, it just comes down to development. That's what it comes down to. Like, it's like they're like, they're, you, you can't look at the NBA and be like, man, all the best players are international guys. Like, they're just getting better. It's like they're doing something better than us. They understand the team concept of basketball because I feel like in the States, everything's focused on the individual. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, like it gets you to, it gets you to a certain point, but like eventually you got to learn how to play with, with other people and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because like when we say the word development, it's not just about like ball handling. You know what I mean? It's, it's not a, just about skill development in general. It's not just skill development. Yeah. Exactly. I think – from a skill development standpoint, I think America, we've never been better. I think the and athleticism. Yes, the players in the NBA now are the most skilled they've ever been and the most athletic. And I've had. said this, I've, I've posted about it on social like, the skill is up, the athleticism is up, the feel for the game is probably slightly down. Yes. And I think that's where it's hard to understand because it's like, man, like the players today would have like dominated the NBA in the 80s. And it's like, yeah, they are more athletic and more skilled. But like, I mean, there was no spacing back then, and they still made plays, you know. So maybe they were better at playing basketball, you know. Yeah, it's it's so hard to assess um, everything. But, but yeah, I mean, there's something about – I mean, when I went to Israel, there was definitely things I didn't know, basic things. A hundred percent. Like, 
I mean, you look at basketball to, in a totally different way after that experience. Like, I never really played out of a pick and roll. I didn't really know the right reads. There was little things I kept messing up on, like, like, like little things that are they're actually like elementary that I was not. I was not like I needed to be coached on. Like when when uh when someone drove baseline and was trying to make that baseline pass, I would still be up in the wing spot. Well, yeah, there's more of that in general, right? Like the point guard keeping the dribble he's like, alive. He's like, Mike, you got to go corner. You got to be there for the for the pass. And I would sit in the Mike, wing. you must go corner. Come exactly. on, Mike. And I'm just like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, damn, that's just like a basic basketball off the ball. Like when people say, oh, like he's so good moving without the ball. It's like, what does that really mean? It means relocating, but it also means being in the right spots. And as a shooter, you got to know that. And I was definitely, I'm supposed to be a catch and shoot guy. And I don't even know where to go. But no one ever, literally no one ever coached me on that, on that, like just where to be. Or like if the guy's coming off the pick and roll to slide up into the window, like I just wasn't, uh, there's things I knew, obviously like, when you're running in transition, like run to the quarter, spread the floor, those things. But there was just little things, and I didn't know. But I learned. But, um, but yeah, I, I wasn't. I definitely wasn't fully prepared when I went out there. Yeah, it's interesting, even from a youth standpoint. And I know you've seen youth teams play out there, or even youth practices, because a lot of times youth practices like before the pro practice. Yeah, and they would just like focus on things like pick and roll, how to read the pick and roll, and you would see them spend like twenty minutes, half an hour, just on pick and roll in a certain scenario. Man, I never. You, you know, I never played pick and roll ever. That's crazy. in college. We didn't even play pick and roll, and that that really hurt me. Like, it's just. It, but it's also as a ball handler to feel just comfortable with like the defender on your hip and making a read and controlling the pace. Knowing when to slow down, yeah, all that. Knowing when to shoot the pull-up, knowing when, to, like, the, the the thing about basketball that I think people really underestimate is just like having the instincts and decision-making of when to shoot, when to pass, when to drive. Like, it sounds simple, but it's so hard to actually master those decisions. Like, and there's so many players that you even see, like we see in like YouTube culture now, but it's like, Dudes could like be really skilled, really athletic, make nice highlights for social media, yep. but not be that good at basketball. Hundred percent. Well, I think that's what the NBA. Like, I think if you, if you ask like Steph Curry, clearly like a high IQ guy, or LeBron, how many guys in the NBA really know how to play basketball, like at a high level? I I would bet he would say not that much. They can make they're they're skilled, they're good, but as far as like making like really knowing how to play the game. Like a Draymond Green type of guy, like I don't think there's that many. But, but yeah, I mean, even now, like I fall victim to it. Like, you know, I, I've been working on like trying to be able to create space and get and create and be more like one on one. But yeah, it, that doesn't always correlate to real basketball. You know, how do you feel about that? That now you become. I mean, I love it because you don't have. There's like different lanes to be known as a basketball player. But how do you feel about? In this culture, you could be, like, known for basketball but not be that good at basketball. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like, it is cool how social media, you know, gives basketball creators, like, you've seen, like, Cam Wilder and Friga and these guys who, like— Yeah, I don't want to name people's yeah. names. Yeah, well, 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 I'm saying—, I'm saying well, well, here's the thing. Well, I, I guess it comes back to this point is, like, there's just not— And Friga could play, by the way. The, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. These yeah. guys are good. They played in college. Like— there's so many good basketball players that after, that is true after, too. after college, there's nowhere to go. Like, that is true whereas too. like if they lived in another country, they would have played set third or second division maybe, and they would have been able to play for another 10 years and make like a decent living. So 
that's a tough part about America is like I play against guys at West Forth or you play against guys and you're like, holy, like this guy is sick. Like, why is he not playing anywhere? And it's yeah, like, there's a lot of there was a lot of that growing up in New York. A hundred percent. And it's like, OK, maybe they have attitude problems. Maybe they got kicked off their college team. I don't know. But there's also just a world where it's like there's nowhere for them to go. So I think it's a plus that like a guy's like Cam Wilder or Frigo or even like myself where like, you know, you just have a lane to keep playing because I don't think it's fair. Like if I lived in Israel, I think I would I would have just played third division until I was like 35, 40 years old. I would have got an, I would have got another job. Well, when you were younger, you would have been playing a higher division than that. Yeah, but I'm saying like, but but even if like if I lived if I decided I just was going to live in Israel the rest of my life, like I think I'd be able to play third division until I was like 40, and I'd have another job. And I after 40, even more than 40, <laughs> but, whatever. But I'm saying yeah. like I would I would have played third division and had another job. Whereas like now like you know we play pickup at Equinox and we have a job, but like. There's a world like third divisions, like one game a week through four practices. Like that would be great. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I know, I know dudes like, you know, Oren Mansky, like, bro, he's playing out there till he's 40. Like, you know what I mean? And like, he does his other things, but like, there's nothing to do like that in America. We have to pay to play. I'm p- paying to go play at basketball city. I'm paying to play at Westport. It's crazy. Yeah. Not saying I should be getting paid, but I'm saying like, that's the culture. It, it's just different. You know, I mean, you could still make money if you end up winning Dykeman or whatever, but, you know. That is another thing, like the money tournaments, the one-on-one stuff is getting more popular. Yeah. TBT is another thing where, like, high-level cool. guys could go play. Yep. TBT and the men and us are played in it, actually. They did. They, yeah, did. Yeah. they did. They did play in it. Yeah, we, we, we didn't win, but they, they did. Uh, they had some big highlights, those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they showed. But then that's another situation where it's like, yeah, we had, we had a talented team, but you got it. You got like I think we played against like Creighton or I forget who we played against, but it's like you know those guys play together for years. You know, yeah. Like was, I mean, it's like that, college teams, and, and it's also like there's just a difference of like if you play against dudes who played in college for four years and played overseas for like ten, like they just know how to play. They know how they know the tricks. They're just they're gonna win. The the older guys are gonna win even if they're a step slower or whatever. Yeah, it's team defense, being in the right spots, being smart. It, it ends up it ends up and you you talked about how those guys play together forever and that's part of the issue with um team usa it's like the talent is not enough of a gap to defy the yep. chemistry of the other team exactly and i mean you hope there's some consistency but uh but then you know one one flock of guys show up for like fiba another flock of guys show up for the actual olympics and and it's tough how do you feel about the anthony edwards michael jordan comparisons <laughs> um i mean it's I think it's I think it's unnecessary. Uh, like, does he have comparison? Does he have like characteristics that align with Jordan? I guess like they're both super exciting athletes. I think Anthony Edwards has like that that mentality to be like a guy who will be on contending teams and demand winning, uh, which is cool. I mean, the sky's the limit for him. I think it's a little unnecessary. I don't think he's like I don't think he plays that much like Michael Jordan. Like he's like a he, like he's. <laughs> He's an amazing three-point shooter. It's also just, like, pointless to compare. Like, Kobe Bryant was, like, a mirror of Michael Jordan, and no one else has even been close to, like, like Kobe emulated Jordan, and no one's even been close to that. I think Kawhi Leonard and DeMar DeRozan. Isn't Jimmy Butler, according to social media, supposed to be MJ's son? Yeah, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Like, it's like someone makes a mid-range jump shot or, like, does something, and it's like, ah, it's Jordan. It's like, come on, like, I get it, like. Like DeMar DeRozan and Kawhi Leonard, they kind of remind me of like the mid-range Kobe Michael, but they're so different. Like, I don't know. 
But Anthony Edwards is is I don't when I'm 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 not saying don't compare him to Michael Jordan because he won't be that good. I'm saying like just don't compare him to Michael Jordan because it's pointless. But he he could be. He, I I think he has potential to be like a top ten player ever. But he does. But uh, you know, we gotta. I, I think him and Luca have that type of potential. Obviously, yeah. he's a little bit younger, but I do think those are the guys that'll be in the MVP mix for years to come. You probably throw like SGA in there the way he's Dude. been playing. Dude, I love seeing a guy like that. I love I love seeing the develop development he's had for the Thunder. Like he's so good now that like the Thunder have a responsibility to make themselves contenders because they're close to it now, Mike. I mean, you add Chet in there. I know he's yeah. very young. Mitchich yeah. is like a pick and roll guy that kind of fills a gap. You I got Josh like Giddy, another All Star guy. I love who's going to be an All Star. You think Giddy's going to be an All Star? Yeah. I mean, I love Giddy. I, SGA and Giddy. I don't know if they complement each other that You're well. You're right because of the shooting, the catch and shoot stuff. Yeah, but um, I th- I do think they need another big guy, another big star, like a wing or or, or someone like that. Jalen Williams. Yeah, no, he's good. He's really. He's like going to be a two way star. He's really good. And Chet, we obviously have to see how. Obviously, he has all the tools. Um, he was cooking KD this summer. It's a done deal. He's he's, he's the rookie of the year. <laughs> yeah. But like the Thunder really need to treat. They need to treat. SGA as if he's Luka Doncic because I think Why he's that they? good. Yeah, yeah, of course. He's that good. Yeah. So you got to get pieces together and make a run. Like if the Thunder aren't like – they got to be a top five or six team in the West. They have to be. Yeah. Or else it's a – I'm saying or else the season's a fail. Like they got to be – they got to get some playoff reps in for, for SGA and the young guys, you know, it's a different game. Who's better, them or the Cavs this year, you think? Um – they should be better. I mean, the Cavs were confusing last year. Like, they were real solid. And then, like, the Knicks destroyed them. And the Knicks got destroyed by the Heat. Like, the Knicks actually weren't that good. But the Knicks just, like, dominated the Cavs. They couldn't do anything. Yeah, it's all about matchups. Yeah, it is all about matchups. Um, but, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see the Cavs, like, really getting over the hump. They just yeah. seem like that stereotypical Eastern Conference team that's, like, solid, you know, and then maybe goes to the second round and, and it's done. Yeah, a few more things. I'm going to shift gears slightly. Can Cooper Flag play in the league right now? Yeah, for sure. I think Cooper Flag is already an NBA player. I mean, he just reclassed, so he get there quicker, right? I think. Um, yep. Yeah, I got to see him play a few games at um, at Peach Jam. Okay, bro. He's like Blake Griffin mixed with like LeBron. Like, <laughs> like not, I'm not saying he's that good. I'm saying like. From a high school, like like he's just like a do it all kind of guy. Like, what do you need? Like, what do you need? You need him to dribble through everyone and just dunk. Okay. You need him to hit open shot. Okay. You need him to post up someone. You need him to make the game winning defensive play to block a shot. He also is a guy that, like, he's not soft. Like, he's coming for you every time. Like, yeah. he'll force the issue. Kind of like a Zion too, where like. I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna get my own rebound. I'm gonna shoot again. I miss. I'm gonna get my own rebound. Then I'm gonna dunk on you, and I'm gonna flex on your face. Not only that, like throwing it to yourself off the backboard used yes. to be like a huge deal, and he does it like every game. Yeah, and he doesn't do it in like a showboating way. Like he just does it because he's like skilled. It's like, oh, it's just the best play to make at the moment, and like he can finish with each hand. And yeah, I can't say uh, you know I can't say enough about Cooper Flag. I mean, I wish we had him at OT this year. That would have been great. So, who would you build your team around first, him or Wemby? Right now, if I if I could draft both of them, man, that's kind of hard. Like I, Wemby has more upside, but Cooper's like a sure thing. Like 
I am positive that Cooper Flag will be a like a good to great NBA player. Like I'm positive. So who are you going with? I think I'd go with Cooper, even though he's younger. You know, I might agree with you. Uh, that's tough, but I would say for OTE, like let's say an OTE team, I'd definitely take a Wemby. Oh, oh, for OTE because he's just gonna tower over everybody. Yeah, I mean, from a views and content perspective, I think I'd want Wemby. Because the thing with Wemby is like it just doesn't make any sense. It like, doesn't. I saw him like, playing summer league. It doesn't look real. It literally yeah. looks like a video game. Yeah, like obviously he struggled in that first game, but then that like, I think there was a second game where he had a couple like just like. And my dunk. thing is, it's like, it's like tippy toe dunks. My thing is, what if he plays game three, four, five, six? What does that look like? Does it get better every game? I don't know. You know. Yeah. I mean, we all know. Don't overreact to summer league. It 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 it's like I think the thing with summer league is that you shouldn't really take you shouldn't learn anything new it should just kind of cement what you already thought i feel like right yeah, that makes sense it's like okay we know wemby is there's never been anyone like him right we we know we know that he's gonna have some trouble phys- physically like he's gonna get pushed around you know we also know that like he can make plays that you've never seen from someone that size he hit like some mid-ranges coming off like dribbles moves there's like okay we knew he could do that it's great to see him that he could do it in the summer league we know he could like block shots. We know he can like use standing dunks and stuff. And we know he might get bullied a little bit. It's like he it kind of was like everything I know. And it's like if he gets stronger and gets a better feel for the NBA game, like he's eventually gonna I mean, there's no reason why he's not averaging like twelve, eight, and like five blocks for or like three blocks a game. Like you know, but like he's gonna get dunked on. I know he's gonna get dunked on. Like he got dunked on in summer league. I was like, I know he's gonna get dunked on a lot this year. He's gonna. It's fine. Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna block shot, he's gonna try to block shots. The main thing is like the injuries, you know. But what do you think his rookie year looks like? I, I mean, I think I mean he plays for is not a great team. I think he's going to get a lot of reps. I think he couldn't be in a better development team situation. Yeah. Um. So I, I also think he has a great attitude. He's probably coachable. That's the thing with international guys. They have good attitudes, and they and they learn, and they coach, and they go back, and they go back to their city. They go back to their country. Growth mindset. They go back to their city, and they get better. Like. They go back, you know, because they're playing with high IQ guys when they go home, you know. So it's like, I think it's different. It's I I think it's different for him. It's like when he goes back to France, he's gonna be playing with like probably like the French national team. When when uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a situation. Uh, like when an American basketball player goes home, they're just like working out with their trainers from when they grew up or whatever, which is fine. But, like, I don't know. There's yeah. give and take, you know? Yeah. All right, two more things before we get out of here, Mike. Your three favorite exercises to improve your vertical jump. Interesting. Um, it's definitely changed over the years. I do think the best way to get better, get better at jumping is to jump. So I would say the few things you could do, if you only did three exercises, I would probably do – some weighted some weighted jumps so like holding 10 pound dumbbells in each hand um you obviously want to progress to this but just having some sort of load while you're jumping safely right so you could literally just hold 10 pound dumbbells in each hand and just jump continuously um and i think having that resistance is good um and then just working on jump technique like just off two feet especially just like right left left right and just having max intent jumps. Um, and then, and then yeah, like you should do a little bit of strengthening too. Like, so, I mean, it's tough to do three. You know, it, it's, it's a whole thing because it's like 
one, you want to prepare yourself to be able to jump, be able to jump so you don't have any But I still injuries. want the answer. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> um, let's say, yeah, let's say max intent jumps, left, right, right, left. So, like, you're literally, like, going up like you're going to dunk. Okay. Both sides. Weighted jumps. And let's just say a goblet squat. Let's just say holding, holding a dumbbell right here and just squatting. If you only had time for three exercises... I think if you do a little strength strength work with the squats, some you know max intent jumps, maybe do the weighted jumps first, then do contrast it with non weighted max intent jumps. And I just think if you get better at jumping and you get twitchy, and then you get a little stronger, you're gonna start jumping higher. Yeah, it's a tough question. Only three. I know you want you want to get more detail. I do. I always want to get more detail. A couple things I realized about myself just working on that kind of stuff over the years, like when I push through heavy weight, especially usually in a single leg way, like whether it's a lunge or elevated um, split squat, that always gave me like a good yeah. boost. Yeah. And on top of that, what I learned later is that isometrics is sometimes the missing link because it links the eccentric to the concentric and not a lot of people are working on it not that it's the end all be all but it kind of gives you that transfer from eccentric to concentric yeah isometrics are huge like especially that i would add that as something to do on as your fourth or even on (laughs) non-jumping days because it's so good for your tendons yes so it's like a lot of times people want to jump higher and then they end up getting like tendonitis in their knee which i had honestly for years and it's like if you start throwing in isometrics in there whether you're just holding a lunge or holding a spe- like a sport specific position and loading it um i think it's good for injury prevention and yeah like it's also something so easy to do if you're traveling you don't need much equipment to do isometrics you know what i mean you just you need no equipment you just need to hold something like you could literally hold this chair and hold the position that's you don't even need weights yep that's getting creative all right, Mike, you've done a lot of cool things at Overtime. What are your what are your summer favorite events or projects you've worked on with Overtime? That's a good question. Um, I mean, in recent memory, hmm. Well, I, I got to do a really cool shoot with Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Which was cool. It was it was kind of random. Uh Head and Shoulders was the sponsor. And they had like one day out of the year um, or they have like one big shoot a year with uh, Patrick and they decided they wanted to part with overtime on it. And one thing led to another. It was supposed to be like other people involved and just being me and Patrick Mahomes, 12 hour shoot. So I'm just hanging out with him all day. And the premise of the content is like me and him are competing. It was like quarterback challenge where we're like hitting Can you targets. Play football? No. Oh, me neither. But, and then it was like putting, chipping, and then it was like in the weight room doing like some of his workouts. So it was really cool because one, like I got to see like how insane he is throwing the football, right? I actually got to ramp, run some routes. I can catch the ball. I can run around and catch the ball. I have yeah. good hands. Um, I feel like the wide receiver role is like most close to basketball, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Um, I mean, I've never really ran a route with someone that's good at football guarding me, but I can – follow directions, run around and catch and get to a ball. Um, so that was amazing. And then, and then to be able to see like how he trains, his trainer was there, the one he's been working with since he was a kid. And, uh, just to see like the way he warms up. And then we did this one exercise where we're literally, he takes a 20, I think it was a 20 pound medicine ball and you start with your back to the basket and you like do a rotational throw to the wall. Okay. And the trainer 
was, had a radar gun and he'd measure how, how many miles per hour you threw the ball against the wall. And Patrick Mahomes was throwing it like 30 miles per hour. It's like a 20 pound medicine ball. He's so strong. And I was throwing it like 10 miles per hour slower. And I'm like a strong, like I'm strong relative to like. And you've thrown medicine balls around before. Yeah, and I've thrown yeah. medicine balls. Um, like I'm stronger than most people, but like he's like insanely stronger than me. And he's a quarterback. You know what I mean? But he's he's a big guy. He's like 6'3", 2", I don't even know. But That's probably the evolution of the sport. Like probably back in the day you didn't need to be an elite athlete to be a quarterback, but now you do. I guess Tom Brady is the exception because of the mental prowess. Yeah, Tom Brady's an exception. Like, yeah, it's like it's like if, if Patrick Mahomes needed to go out there and like play tight end, he probably could. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like physically. Like he can, and Tom Brady he, could not. Yeah, Tom Brady could not. <laughs> like that's the thing with Patrick is like he – yeah, he kind of – he is like a heavier guy, but like he still glides around on his feet. Yeah. Like he dances out there. So um, that was really, really cool for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, the coolest thing at overtime is just I, I work with such smart people who are all driven and, and like, you know, we're trying to change the game. Like we're trying to change history. I mean, we did. We started this league from nothing and it got two top five picks. Like just to, just to like, just to start with nothing and create something that actually changes the the imprint of the game like yeah I, th I think that that's probably the most rewarding part like that's crazy because that has impact even after you're gone yeah exactly so yeah. exactly it's like yeah. we move so fast it's, it's, it's sometimes it's hard for me to like like i try to spend time to reflect back on what we've done um but it's it's, it's hard because it's you're hard. always looking at what's next right yeah, exactly yeah. so but yeah the relationships that we made and what we've done it's crazy but yeah i guess it's really just a start what do you feel like the future is for OTE specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, yeah, I think the blueprint is there. I think right now it's, you know, just perfecting every single part of the business and making sure everyone's working well together, right? Mm. Making sure people in New York work well with people in Atlanta, making sure that the departments are all working together. It's like the little things. It's like in basketball where it's like, how's the communication? Oh, you never talked to that person? Like, let's go introduce you to them. Like, oh, you don't go up to the third floor and, and take meetings up there? Like, why don't you go up there? Like, it's just, it's like the little people things. And I think with all those things, what I'm learning in my career now is just like those things, the communication and and just, you know, being proactive to introducing yourself to people and those things, like it makes a difference um, to the overall work culture. Um, so I think once there, it, it's really just the little things of just like getting everything from good to great, it just adds up. And I think that will one, the people who work there will love it more. And then two, it, that trickles down to the kids who are there. And it sounds like culture to me. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. just taking a already great culture and just making it better and then just being smarter with everything. Like we have this amazing facility. It's like, okay. It is. Like NBA players come through all the time. Like we should create content with them. We should have them speak to the kids. We should like, it just, it's when you start with something new, you know, you don't have like, the, you know, we're like still building the infrastructure. Um, and we don't have the luxury of like, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers have been around for 40 years. It's like, so we're trying to make fans. Ah, uh, there's no president. Exactly. Like, yeah. like, like Lakers fans, there are people who are just born Lakers fans, right? No one's born a City Reapers fan. So we have to, yeah. we, we have to create that ourselves. And the way to do that is with the community. That and, must have been a challenge because everybody's living in the same place. So in some ways it felt like everybody was on the same team, right? I know there was three outsourced teams, yeah, yeah. right? But no, yeah, it's, it's there. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, a little bit funky. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's. 
it's been cool and and there are like real fans like there's real cold hard fans and like That's yeah cool. they might have loved like rob dillingham and and different players but i think they're going to just love the new players that play for their teams too and i think we'll be we'll be announcing teams and rosters soon so looking forward to it mike cool thanks so much for the time hey, you know you're always welcome on the show man hey i appreciate it. it's always a pleasure combo appreciate you talk soon sounds good we're out we're out there it was another episode of combos court this episode is brought to you by manscaped Discount code COMBO for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. That's C-O-M-B-O-2-0. Use my discount code. Tell them COMBO sent you. Big shouts to Mikey for joining in on this episode. We appreciate you. Thank you to everyone who tuned into Combo's Court across the globe. Share this episode, man. If you listen to this episode in its entirety, take a screenshot and post it on your IG stories. I'll repost it. You could tag me on there at one 2 combo That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 509. Combo out.